the Comic Book Time Machine presents The Week of Weird. Seven days of weird comics. Day seven, a weird war tale. Hello and welcome back to the comic book time machines week of weird. And this is the final day of the week of weird. And my name is Ben, Ben Avery, and I am a comic book time traveler. And that means I read comic books that take me into the past, or I go into the past to get the comic books, metaphorically speaking. Uh, But whatever the case may be, I read comic books from the past because the future ones aren't available yet. And this week of weird, this was a a challenge I gave myself. Um, It was a podcasting test of endurance in some ways. Uh, But then it was also done in conjunction with a comic book podcast blog test of endurance as well. Um, So you have the week of weird, which was seven days in a row of seven episodes of comic book podcasting and uh i it was hard work and i thought maybe i'd get ahead of it and i never did but i never got behind it either i did i did i made it you know and and i actually there's there's a certain amount of of pride that goes into that i also did it with the the blog where 31 days um all, every single day of October, I put a comic book review on the blog about a different horror comic book or a horror adjacent comic book. And uh, and both of these uh, yielded some unintended results and, and some interesting results. Uh, the seven days of weird um, that allowed me to knock out some comics that I had intended to do a podcast about and just hadn't gotten around to doing it yet. Well, I did it <laughs> and I finally got around to doing it. And uh, this one is not one of those that I was like waiting to get to. This is one of those that uh, when I bought the comic, today's comic, I've I've been waiting to get to this moment so I could do it. I didn't know it would exactly be this moment, but I knew it would be something like this. We'll get to that in a moment. The October Horror Comic-A-Thon <laughs> um, allowed me to read some comics that had been sitting in my collection just hadn't gotten around to yet it also allowed me to reread one or two that i really really loved like the the spider-man man thing team up one uh that was called fear itself which i think is one of the best modern man thing tales um one of the best man thing stories not written by steve gerber honestly and uh yeah it's it allowed me to get to those things and and you know i i actually thought about doing a podcast episode every day and between this and the blog maybe i could have done that if i just taken that blog entry that i wrote and just read it verbatim but um i didn't do that i instead just did the written blog what was nice about that is that well there's a couple things that were nice about that one was that it resulted in some really really good reading and uh i got i read some really great books like the well the the two alien franchise graphic novels that i read um it also resulted in me reading some very middling comics that (laughs) weren't weren't great but weren't terrible uh the anthology books and then there were some books that were a little bit of both and there was one or two that were that were terrible but um 
The other thing it did for me is it kind of boosted my confidence in setting aside time for writing. Um, those of you who know I'm, I'm have been a professional comic book writer in the past right now. I don't know if I can call myself that because I'm not writing comics for anyone. I'm not writing anything for anyone, honestly, um, except for, uh, these blog posts and, and I've got a project that I'm supposed to be working on that I just have a, I think I mentioned my creative depression, uh, before, um, I think there's probably a better way to define what I'm feeling and what I'm, what I'm going through with that. But, um, 31 days, 31 blog posts, uh, that was a nice boost of confidence. And while I'm not, you know, didn't do 31 podcast days and I'm not going to do the, the November, what do they call it? Podcast post a thon or something. I don't know. Um, but there are some people who do a podcast episode every day for the month of November. And I've also seen it for, I think the month of month of April or May, uh, it was just pointed out to me a day or two ago, but anyway, um, the NaNoWriMo, the, uh, write a novel in a month thing. Um, this, this boosted my confidence a little bit, maybe making me feel like I could almost do that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it was, it was good personally for me. And then there's also, like I said, I was looking forward to this moment because of the comic book that I'm going to cover for a couple different reasons, but I'm going to, I'm going to get to that now. Um, for this last episode of the, the week of weird, uh, I'm opening a book that I've been waiting, just waiting to touch. Okay. Um, I've been, I've been waiting for a special time and the week of weird, you know, just finding something, some sort of comic that has some sort of weird thing to it, whether it be, um, you know, the weird team up with the Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four, or the weird crossover with Aquaman and Submariner and their unofficial, not official at all <laughs> crossover that they had. That's totally an actual crossover. Um, or, you know, just a, the weird hero with Wood God or, or whatever it might be. Um, this was an opportunity. It, weird is in the title. You know, so how, how can I not, but I've, I've had this book get kind of built up in my mind even before I purchased it. And so because of that, I felt like I need the right time and place to talk about it. And that time and that place is now. And so this comic book, I actually, um, I'm using it for day seven of the week of weird, but I'm also using it for day 31 of my, my blog project. And so just the blog post is going to be a truncated version of this. So this is my comic book journey that I journaled as I was sitting down <laughs> to go back in time and, and read weird war tales. Number three. So I sit down at the table like a man about to consume a gourmet meal cooked by a master chef. And I'm not sure if I'm using the term gourmet correctly, but I know what a master chef is. And the cover of this book is drawn by a metaphorical master chef. And that is Joe Kubert. Now, Joe Kubert, amazing talent. Most comic book time travelers know he's an amazing talent. In fact, if you're a comic book time traveler, you have definitely come across him because he is all over the place, especially in DC comics in in the 70s and 80s and and even almost i mean up to the the point with point of time recently when he when he passed away 
Um, he's amazing. And his artwork on Sergeant Rock, I'm convinced, is one of the things, if not the thing, that led to the longevity of, of that character. So the cover has two men. They're on a small raft labeled U.S. Air Force. Both men are gaunt, a little frail. One has dark eyes. Perhaps they're closed, perhaps not. You can't see because of the shadows. The other's alert and awake, and he grasps at his friend, who, in addition to looking unconscious or asleep or perhaps dead, is bandaged, wounded. Both of them wear torn clothes. And the alert soldier, he's not looking at his friend, even as he grabs his friend protectively. No, he's looking at a figure rising from the waters, a figure that's framed by the, the darkness of night, and it's a starless night. Um, there's no clouds, though. It's just, it's just the dark, black night sky. This figure seems to be formed from seaweed, and, and he reaches out a hand, and it kind of, uh, you know, it's not like an aggressive reach. He's, he's just kind of subtly beckoning the men to come to him. Uh, so this is loudly proclaimed on the cover, the third gut grabbing issue of weird war tales, 52 big pages. Don't take less, only 25 cents. Now, I don't see how these pages are bigger than another average comic book page, but you know, 52 standard size pages isn't as snappy. Um, the letters of the word weird. I had never noticed this before, and this is, this is not the first weird war tales uh, issue that I've ever owned. Um, but I've never taken a close look, I guess. But the letter uh, letters of the word have a texture to them that when you examine it closely, turns out to be human forms. They're bodies and they're stacked and they're crammed unnaturally into the shapes of the letters as if H.R. Uh, Geiger were drawing a mass grave of stick figures. Um, it's surprisingly disturbing once I realized what it was. And then I looked and, and, uh, saw that there are, you know, this is the, the title logo that they used for, um, many other issues. I don't know if it was for every other issue in the entire run, but they use it for, for many of them. So anyway, I'm ready to dive into this comic. Now, this is what I would call a grail comic for me. I'd seen this cover somewhere and I have been waiting to find a copy of this comic for a while now. Uh, this is part of my, what you might call my quote, judge a book by its cover swamp monster collection. <laughs> so, uh, yes, looking closer, it doesn't seem to be a swamp monster. It is seaweed, uh, but that doesn't matter. Judging a book by its cover is more about the feelings than the details. It's all about the artistry and does it grab you and, and pull you in. And this cover to me there's a lot of artistry. It does grab me. There's emotion. Um, there's fear. There's despair on the man who seems to be either unconscious or dead. There's fear in the man who is alert and awake and knows what's happening right now at that very moment. And But then the threat is not aggressive. The threat is just the presence of the creature, this monster. Uh, so what's inside? All I know is that this is an anthology title and that later issues that I already have in my collection aren't the best of comics in the world. <laughs> There's some weirdness going on, some, 
odd stuff happening and not all of the stories work well for me. So I gingerly open the comic. I believe comics are for reading, not for stealing away as an investment. That's just my philosophy and I'm not going to argue about it with anyone because there's different values assigned to different things by different people in different ways. This comic though, taking the trip back in time to November 1971, it's going to need to be a careful experience and I'm very glad for the polybag and board that this comic came in. I found the comic when I went to a convention recently. Um, I was there at a table selling my books. I had four goals for the convention to be successful. I had to, one, sell enough of my comics to pay for the table. Every comic book convention I ever go to and have a table, that is my number one goal. I also had to have fun. Almost every convention, in my mind, that's my number two goal. Third, I hoped to sell a book that I had never sold before. It's a book called Quentin Tarantino uh, Anthology. And it's a book that I wrote a chapter about, about um, Jackie Brown in it. I'd never sold the copy, wanted to. Guess what? I did. Yay. And fourth goal, I wanted to find a fun and affordable comic, ideally from my wish list. I only wanted to find one. I would be happy with just one. Now, I only had a few short opportunities to leave my table uh, due to uh, just a variety of strange circumstances. My table was uh, an odd distance from the dealer's room. The dealer's room was down one hall, up the stairs, and down another hall. And so the first time I went up, I barely had time to look at much of anything when I got called back to my table via a text from my buddy Evan. Second time that I got to go up to the room, the first dealer I stopped by had old comics. So I thought, I'll take a look here. The comics, even better, were in alphabetical order. So I went to W. I found Weird War Tales immediately. He had three or four of them. And there was issue three. The first book I was looking for was in the first box where I looked. And it was 10 bucks. Now, I hate spending that much on a comic, even on a comic that I really want, unless it's going to be, you know, 80 pages of original scary stories like, you know, uh, cursed comics cavalcade. Um, but I had made a few sales uh, enough to pay for my table and I had cash in my pocket and buying this comic, you know, my goal was only find one that made me you know, that, that was fun. That made me happy or whatever. And, um, I just decided, okay, this will be it. This is the one I'll buy. That's the only one I'm going to buy if I bought it. And there was no question I bought it. And so I went to the dealer, told him he made me a very happy man. The dealer didn't really care, took my money. I made him maybe a little bit happy, but I was very happy to have found this book. So now here I sit getting ready to open this comic and the spine is flaking and torn. Um, you know, I, I know what I'm hoping for inside this book, but I also know what to expect. <laughs> so I hope for a, well, now that it's, I'm seeing it's seaweed creature. Um, I hope for a swamp monster adjacent 
uh, war story. Um, but I'm expecting the possibility that nothing like the cover will be inside. I'm also expecting the possibility that it's going to be a series of reprints from old, old, old war comics. And some of them, if not most of them, will not be any good. It's a possibility. So the opening story is a wordless story, except sound effects, at least at the beginning. And we see two American Air Force pilots get shot down in a World War II battle over the ocean. They crash, they survive, and they wait on their raft. One of them is hurt and unconscious, the other alive and hopeless. And yes, this is the story from the cover. And yet, it's something different, something I did not expect, something weird. Which is totally appropriate, given the title. The conscious pilot sees a star in the heavens. It's the only star in the dark night sky. And then it descends toward the waters. It takes form. It is the creature. Even though it seems to have come from the sky, it is made of seaweed and drips water. And then it speaks. Take heart, young warrior. All is not lost. You are not alone. The deeds of brave men lost in war's holocaust float on the silent waters about you. Do you not see them? Perhaps you do not even see me. Then let me tell you of the others. Listen. And so, yes, the host of this comic... This issue's horror host is the seaweed creature. The framing device for the stories, many of them reprinted from comics two decades previous, features the head of a swamp, no, a seaweed creature (laughs) telling the stories to these lost and hopeless soldiers. It's weird for sure. Now, it's Joe Kubert's writing and art. So it looks great, but it's also disappointingly short. (laughs) So um, not what I expected, not at all what I expected. And so here are the tales the creature tells. Our seaweedy host says, The seas crush toward infinity, to a destination unknown, moving Ever onwards, never retracing its winding path, never once the feeling that I've been here before. And so, Been Here Before is the title of this story. It's written by Bill Finger, and the art is by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. And it's reprinted from GI Combat number 44, January. 1957 and this story is a little bit of a head trip and it's kind of a time travel story maybe it's unclear um and it's also unclear if we are in the story uh if we're in the future during action in world war ii experiencing a vision of the past or if we're in the past experiencing a vision of the future either way It's either uh, 
a vision of the future from the past that will allow this person to do things the way he needs to when he gets to the future, or it's a person from the future remembering some things that happened in the past that will allow him to succeed in the situation that he's in. Uh, and, and the ambiguity, it adds some nuance. And so it's a story that uh, requires some thought and it gives it a little bit of depth that you don't often find in these these short stories. I know a lot of the short stories really try to, you can see the intention is to have you think and to give you that twist ending that makes you really go, huh, this whole thing, the the whole story gets redefined when I get to the last page. Um, it doesn't often happen though. I know that's the intention, but it doesn't often happen. And, you know, it, it makes for a situation where, you know, if you have your, or at least I, I use kind of a, a quad, uh, I, I use th four areas when I am analyzing a story and there's, there's theme, there's character, there's plot and there's style. And these are kind of the four things that make uh, a work of especially narrative art. And, you know, some, you know, independent uh, movies tend to focus in independent comics, honestly, tend to focus more on character. And then you have um, things like this, things like Twilight Zone and, and that kind of thing where it depends on the plot. The, the thing that sticks with you isn't is isn't so much the characters. It's the plot twist that happens at the end. And then you have something like, um, you know, an animated piece with no plot at all, but it, it looks beautiful and it's set to music. Um, and that style, you know, Tron Legacy has it has characters, it has plot and it has you know, a theme. But to me, style is the, the main thing that I remember from that. And so you have these short stories where plot is the driving force. And, you know, that twist ending is the, you know, takes the place of really, you know, character development or, or whatever. It's plot development that takes you there. And this is one where, you know, like a good Twilight Zone, the plot development is something that makes you think and makes you wonder and makes you curious, like, what was I reading? And how did this all play out? And on first reading and only reading, <laughs> it, it got me to think a little bit. So then our seaweed host uh, speaks again, a new tale, saying, The churning waters of the sea give life to friend and foe alike. Become airborne with me, and we will travel with the cloud that went to war. And yeah, <laughs> the cloud that went to war by Dave Wood, and again, Ross Andrew and, and Mike Esposito, reprinted from Our Fighting Forces number 17, which is also from January 1957. Did you catch the title? Well, that's what this is about. There's a cloud. There's a war. The cloud basically volunteers. It's not enlisted. And then it basically helps a, a commando unit as they go on a mission. Their plane is shot down, but the cloud, cloud hides them as they parachute down and then gives them cover on their mission. And then after the mission, they escaped on a raft and it turns into rain and gives them water. It's like a war comic version of the giving tree. It just keeps giving and giving and giving until it's nothing. And then it evaporates and becomes a cloud again in the sky. 
yeah, The Giving Tree. I still don't know what to think about that book. So the next story, we get no introduction. Don't need an introduction. This is a really interesting and good war comic. Again, this is mostly style. Uh, there's a little bit of plot to it, but what's good about this is style. The narration is by, well, I'm not sure who wrote what. Okay, so uh, Len Wein and Marv Wolfman both worked on the story. Russ Heath did the artwork. Uh, the narration is well done. It's stylistic. The artwork is stylistic. Now, this one seems to be a new comic uh, made for this comic book, but it's also a story that I had already read once before. It was reprinted in a graphic novel collection called America at War, the best of DC war comics, which is, by the way, a fantastic collection, fantastic collection. So the story plays with narrative technique and explores basically it's exploring how the more things change, the more they stay the same, that kind of thing. Uh, but in, in some ways, it also reminds me of Kubrick's uh, 2001 in how it looks at the past and the present and how in 2001 you have, you know, the animals um, and they have their technological advancement because of the monolith and then they throw the bone up into the air and then you cut from the bone to the spaceship and then they have a interaction with the monolith and they have another, you know, kind of technological or um, evolutionary uh, advancement. And this is, this doesn't do that exact same thing, but it does follow these kind of mirror, um, plot lines, storylines in two different time periods. So maybe if Kubrick uh, had cut the film so that it would bounce back and forth between the, uh, the, the cave people and, and the you know, future people from 2001, uh, would be more like this, but, uh, it just reminded me of that a little bit. So you have two groups of men fighting for control of a pool. They need the water. And, and now they, you know, this one group in the past and one group in world war two find this pool and then their enemies seek to take it from them and they fight and that's the story so not much of a story not much of a character development other than um, you see these people decide that they're going to defend their pool and they're going to fight to the death the stories mirror each other though and both end in the same way they both end on a nihilistic note but it's one of those cautionary nihilistic notes and this cautionary nihilism ends with a stamp kind of caption that says make war no more and i am not sure if this is something that they did on uh, you know many many stories or if this is something they just did on a couple stories in this collection but they did it in a couple on this in this collection which makes sense i mean this is coming out in in the 70s and and uh yeah, so here you have this comic that's almost glorifying war. Um, but then you have this story here. It is not a glorification of war. One uh, other interesting thing about the page layouts, and, and this is what makes me think that this, this story is almost more about style than anything else, is that each page switches between the groups and between the time periods. And, and the artwork of each page is similar. So like just looking at the final two pages, the first panel shows a prehistoric man clubbing another 
prehistoric man. And then the matching panel on the next page over in World War II has two men in similar similar positions. But instead of one man getting knocked down because he's just been clubbed by the other guy, uh, this is one man shooting the other. And their bodies are in similar positions from one, the, those two panels. The next panel, panel, panel two on the prehistoric page, has uh, one prehistoric man swinging a stone axe at the other who deflects it with his own stone axe. The matching panel on the World War II page has one man swinging a rifle at the other, and the other guy is using his own rifle to deflect the blow. Um, meanwhile, on the prehistoric pages... In the background, we have images from modern warfare. And, and the way it, this looks, the way this works, if you haven't seen this story before, is that it's almost like the prehistoric panels, there's about six on each page, are being placed down on top of the pages of another comic. And, and so you have these three panels behind the prehistoric panels that are of modern warfare and then the same thing happens on the, the World War II pages. Um, they have prehistoric panels behind them. And so these obscure background images are also reflective of each other. And so the first set behind page one and two, you have land war and land-based dinosaurs. So on the prehistoric page, you have land war tanks and stuff. Um, in those background panels and you have land-based dinosaurs, you know, brontosauruses and T-Rexes or whatever on those first two pages. And then the next two pages, pages three and four have subs and boats matched with undersea, undersea prehistoric creatures. And then in the final two pages, you have two aerial battles. Um, there's planes in the world war two fighting behind the prehistoric men. And then you have a prehistoric battle with flying dinosaurs or whatever, pterodons or whatever it is. Um, it's well-crafted, it's original, and the nihilistic ending, it is horrific. It is the kind of thing that hopefully makes you think about war. So then next we have Combat Size by Bob Haney and Russ Heath, and it's reprinted from Our Army at War, number 66, from January 1958. And so now we're moving from this really kind of gritty, meaningful statement-making storytelling to Zany Haney, as Emily from the Relatively Geeky Network would call it. And I specifically remember her saying this on her short box show showcase uh, series on the network. Um, she calls tales written by Bob Haney, Zany Haney, and this is Zany Haney. This one is just plain weird, and there is no explanation for the magical fantasy stuff that happens other than a Rod Serling-esque philosophical musing by the Seaweed Man, where he says, Through waves of time, things that appear to be reality may indeed be illusion. Such is the tale of a soldier's stature. So then we jump into the story, and the story itself, um, it starts out kind of, you know, just normal. It's a normal day. There's a soldier and he's he's marching. And as he's marching, he starts shrinking and then a battle starts and he has to think quick and use his short stature to his advantage, uh, choosing not to let it stop him, even though he's like like 12 inches tall. And uh, he 
he fights hard. He fights valiantly against the enemy. And then as he is facing down an airplane that's coming, he starts feeling bigger than he ever did before. And he starts to grow to become a giant. And it's unclear how we're supposed to read this. It's presented in first person narrative. And the narrator uh, speaks as if it all happened like this. But it could be that as he's narrating, he's he's not so much an unreliable narrator. He's more just intentionally metaphorical. He's he's not an unreliable narrator. He's an intentionally metaphorical narrator. Uh, And so maybe at the beginning, he just felt small, just like this little person, you know, in a big army in a bigger war and the small successes that he has as he works hard and, and shows that he has grit. Uh, it allows him to feel bigger and bigger as he faces down a plane until he feels like he's a giant, like he's a mile high. So, as, you know, no matter how tall this guy is, it's the low point of the book to me. Or is it? <laughs> Our seaweed man intones his introduction once more. Silent paths whisper their way through the bleakness of the ocean waves. Those who travel the darkened corridors of the seas may scream for a pilot for a sub. And Pilot for a Sub is by Bill Finger and Mort Drucker. It's reprinted from Our Army at War, number 68, from March of 1958. A pilot fish loses his shark companion in an explosion in a battle and then adopts a submarine as his new shark. And it goes through battle after battle with them and then helps guide them when they get lost in a coral reef that's trapped them. And yep, in this comic book, we get shrinking soldiers, a very helpful cloud and a fish friend who saves a submarine. Yeah. (laughs) And then Joe Kubert wraps up everything with two more pages and the seaweed man, he's told his tales and then he makes to leave, but the two men beg him for help. But is he there or is he a figment of their imagination? And so my tales end, young warrior. The fates of war cast men to play strange roles against a tapestry of death. But a brave heart and determination may deter a man's destiny. Ah, dawn approaches, and I must go. No, don't go. My body's hurt, dying. We've no food, water. Help us. You beg for a miracle, eh? Are you certain that you do not ask aid of a figment of your imagination? I can see you. Hear you. Then look deeply into my eyes. Does your salvation or doom lie within Miracles stem first from a man's own efforts. You alone are fate's adversary. Farewell. And then 
he leaves. And the men survive alone on the waters for four weeks. Or are they alone? When they're picked up, it's a miracle that they survived. Or was it? They lived off rainwater. But then there was that seaweed that trailed behind their raft, attracting fish that they ate raw, allowing them to cheat the fates of war. So, yeah, this was in no way what I expected this issue to be. Um, it didn't have the story I expected, or rather, it didn't have the story I, I hoped for. Uh, but then it kind of did, and then it threw this curveball as the creature becomes the host of the book. And in between, he tells us two pretty good stories, one really good story, one pretty good story, and then one not not bad story and and two kind of dumb ones. Uh, but none of them are horrible, <laughs> and, and they all look great. The artwork on every single one of these things looks fantastic. Um, and maybe in a different mood, if I had read it in a different mood, um, I, I might've liked them differently, but then the ending, which, you know, kind of ties the stories together with the creature finishing his tail and then kind of giving them a little bit of, of help and, and hope. Um, even if he was imaginary or even if he wasn't, uh, it, it works. And, and, you know, so the frame is its own little Twilight Zone kind of story. And uh, as far as a framing for a book like this, I enjoyed this a lot more than any of the uh, the Cain or Abel or Eve or, you know, laughing witches or whatever that frame some of the other DC horror books. And, and honestly, not just the DC horror books, but other ones as well. Uh, I'm curious what the framing or the framework was for some of the other early war, uh, weird war tales. Um, I know the later ones that I have, uh, there wasn't much of a framing device at all, but I'm, I'm curious what they had. But for now, I, I take this fragile comic and I, I gently slide it into its poly bag, watching a small, brittle piece of paper flutter gently off the spine. The staples hold the pages together firmly, but it's it's the bag and the board that hold the cover in place. And sometime in the future, I'll revisit this piece of the past. And that's what the comic book time machine is all about. Using these comics to visit the past. And that past may be 70 years ago. It may be 40 years ago. And, and it may be four days ago. Who knows? <laughs> But the past, it's the past. You know, I like visiting the past because, I mean, the future, that's where I'm going, you know, and that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. But it's its nice to visit the past. So in the end, this ended up being not a swamp monster at all. <laughs> and then it subverted my expectations completely and then kind of subverted them again. And it, it honestly, it makes it feel like the perfect ending to the week of weird. So I want to thank you so much for listening. And now, as promised, here's a look at the feedback received about this week of weird. And it's only appropriate that the only piece of feedback actually comes from the podcaster who got mentioned in almost every episode this week. Now, he didn't get mentioned in this episode. No, not this episode. In this episode, I mentioned his daughter. But still, <laughs> uh, 
Professor Allen from the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network and from Dorkness to Light, a podcast about um, geek religion stuff, wrote in and says, Ben, a couple comments about the week of weird. First, we thought that we were ambitious over at Dorkness to Light, releasing seven Halloween episodes over three weeks, but seven episodes in seven days? That, my friend, is an impressive goal. Good luck. And now I'll just butt in to say, thanks, Prof. It was your encouragement that helped. Actually, it, it was. Um, it did help. I, I probably could have done it without your encouragement, but your encouragement definitely helped it to go um, better. And I, I appreciate that a lot. Back to the message. Second, just a few days before your episode, calling out my habit of planning ahead, I literally sat down and planned out the next six months of podcast episodes. Everything is subject to change, of course, but I like having a roadmap. I laughed when you called me out on that. Keep up the good work and God bless you. So, so yes, now I, in this episode, have mentioned him again, but um, yeah, one more word. I I just want to mention this. Um, The podcast promos I use in any podcast episode, um, where promos appear anyway, are promos from shows that I listen to, like, and appreciate, and that I think anyone who listens to this podcast will also like and listen to and, and appreciate. Uh, it's it's dangerous for me to do this uh, because there is always the fear that if I let people know about podcasts that are better than mine, they will not return. But I do it anyway, so <laughs> I'm willing to take the risk. Um, and I also do what I can to make the promo match a little bit with the content of the episode, which, you know, last episode was very easy to do the fantastic cast when I did an episode about, you know, fantastic four, uh, this one, um, I wasn't sure quite what it was going to be. Uh, and then I mentioned Emily's short box showcase. And so that's why I'm playing, playing that promo. Anyway, um, here's where you can find some other things that might be relevant to your interests online. You can f- uh, send feedback to feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. And Comic Book Time Machine's home on the web is found at comicbooktimemachine.com. The 31-day blog post thing that I did, the Ben's Horror Comic a-thon or whatever I called it. Uh, anyway, that 31-part blog journal of horror comics that I read this month can be found um, at comicbooktimemachine.com. You can go directly to the series by going to comicbooktimemachine.com slash horror. And you can find the other six days of my week of weird at comicbooktimemachine.com slash week of weird. You can subscribe to Comic Book Time Machine and most places where you find podcasts uh, subscribing to the Comic Book Time Machine will get you podcast topics like Marvel's classic Star Wars, Swamp Thing, Crisis on Infinite Earths, What If, and a whole lot of other things. Some of them are just random comics. Some of them are not so random comics. Um, continuing series that we do on our, the podcast is, include Matt Anderson, uh, my my co-host and co-creator of the podcast, looking at What If comics, and my own coverage of Marvel sci-fi and fantasy in the Star Wars era the the licensed sci-fi and fantasy, um, which is from 1977 to 1986. It's an index thing where I'm going issue by issue, episode by episode. And recently I started looking at Shogun Warriors and Micronauts. And basically it's all about wanting to have fun reading comics and then talking about them. And so I want to thank you for being a part of that conversation, even though most of the conversation, as with any podcast, is kind of one way coming from this side of the microphone to that side of your earbuds. 
but I appreciate you listening. And I thank you so much for supporting, supporting this endeavor. And so with all that said, I just want to say, you know what, no matter where you are, no matter if you're stuck on a raft in the middle of the ocean with a dark starless sky, I want to wish you, first of all, that a seaweed man comes and maybe helps you out a little bit. And uh, I also want to wish you, in those travels, Godspeed. is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky Podcast blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family.